2: This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the football league covered. Hello and welcome to episode 162 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley live, you like this DC, and a little change to uh, previous weeks from Salford Quays in a broom cupboard. Oh uh, ironically, hey, you. I know. And live from London in your broom cupboard um is David Cameron Walker. Hello. Um, we should have a battle of the broom cupboards if possible at some point. Mine doesn't have broken aircon though, so I think mine might be a little bit better. Um, I don't know what it to- actually means a battle of the broom cupboards, but I'm not <laughs> having one. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, welcome to a special edition of We Are Going Up, celebrating uh, the cult heroes of the football league. Those players that, as a fan, you—I um, was going to say idolise. Yeah, you do idolise. Maybe not for necessarily yeah. the right reasons. But they stick with you no matter how good/slash bad they are. Do you think that's a, a nice way of, of of selling what we've got coming up? Well, I would I would say it's it's the players that you loved above all others for whatever reason
3: that may be. It's the players that when you think of the great times that you've had supporting your team and the low times, even they're the player that you think of first.
2: Absolutely. Now all that to come and uh, some good guests, loads of fans as well. we'll read some tweets out. Uh, thank you to everyone who got in touch. But first. It would be remiss of us not to mention that after a couple of quiet weeks, the one week week, week, week we actually decide to do this, it all kicks (laughs) off, doesn't it, Yeah. in the Football League? Uh, Managerial changes, uh, four of them, to briefly mention. And if my screen scrolls down, I can, there we go. Uh, Brentford, the experiment with Marcus uh, Dijkhausen, that ended. Yep. (laughs) That's over before it's even started. Yeah, did you see his tweets about that? He's on no,
3: Twitter. I don't. I don't follow. And um, he, he sort of he talked to the press and, and and commented on it pretty swiftly after it happened. And he basically said that he was obviously very disappointed. And it was kind of really swiftly dealt with. He had like a minute. He literally got taken in one minute conversation. I don't know whether he was speaking exactly literally or not. I'm sure it was a little bit longer than a, than a minute. But obviously it was very short, swift execution, if you like. Which obviously he's disappointed with. Um, and it's. It's a surprise in some respects. Obviously, they've had a bad start, certainly compared to last season. But you would think that for a club and for a chairman that puts so much emphasis on statistics and believing in the numbers... You wouldn't necessarily think they'd pull the trigger so quickly if if they believed in their man and their methods, and you wouldn't. I wouldn't have expected them to, to doubt themselves so quickly, or maybe they've seen something that isn't really really isn't working, and they've decided to do it. But I'm surprised that they've gone so early with this one because they've had a lot of injuries. Brentford, you know, it's not been good results, but they had key players, key signings that they that they made in the summer injured for for long periods, so that hasn't helped them uh, and they've given Lee Carsley, Lee Carsley the job yeah. immediately Get to the end of, right the, end of the season yeah. <laughs> yeah I'd love to see that partnership talk about two cult heroes yeah. there but um <laughs> you know it's it's not like we're in March and you can give a <laughs> no. manager the job to the end of the season to tie you over you're still right at the start of the season so to give him to put the faith in Lee Carsley it might be a good thing to stabilise the club but it's uh, somewhat surprising that they're not considering their options
2: indeed now uh, we're not going to sort of go into detail on each of these sackings uh, because we're going to concentrate on the cult heroes but Steve Evans has gone mm. um, Steve Evans has to decide what Steve Evans does next I believe yeah. is his exact quote he's gone from Rotherham uh, Fleetwood really surprised by this Graham Alexander mm. uh, has left I think they lost three games in a row but they were excellent when I saw them earlier this season uh, he's gone from uh, from Highbury and uh, I mean who would have seen this one come in DC uh, Terry Butcher gone from Newport <laughs> County already I should have placed a significant amount of money on that happening 1st of October, he's out the door. So that's what's been going on. Wolves yeah. are up for sale. I think that might be it for Terry yeah. now. To be honest with you. I think so. Yeah. Back to Inverness, maybe. Uh, Wolves have been put up for sale. Yeah, uh, That's happened. And they went and won 3-0 at Fulham uh, straight away after that. And I've got to squeeze this in there while I can. Barry, have you seen the table in League One recently? I have, mate. Flying high. Five straight wins. 16, count them, 16 games unbeaten away from home. Uh, going back to January. Amazing. And you... Um you turned your nose up at me pre-season when I tipped you to be uh,
3: one of my promotion contenders. I did. Look what's happening. And Burton are there
2: with you as well. Yeah, Burton a flying top of the table. Um, I was at the Coventry game at the weekend, which was a game we hung on in uh, towards the end. And then Peterborough away midweek, 3-2 victory. Some very nice tweets by uh, some of the journos and Peterborough fans who saw the game. And yeah, Leon Clark banging him in. Anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd mention that because it might ne- not necessarily stay... Uh, this mm. positive throughout the rest of the season. So, well,
3: Adrian Adrian Durham was singing your praises. Mine. So you have got some excellent players, not you, <laughs> right? And Barry,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure
3: he thinks you're a fine broadcaster, um, but yeah, he, he was he was praising Berry for the football they played. Wasn't too happy with the referee no, he from, wasn't. Uh, from Tuesday night, was he? But, <laughs> he wasn't at all. Um, something else. I've got something for you. Oh, go on. Um, Any other business to start? This this news doesn't exactly compare to the, the the previous stories that we've discussed there, but it just caught my eye earlier, and I thought it was a bit odd. Um... The at Football League, the official Football League Twitter account. Yes. It tweeted uh what time? Um yesterday. No no today. Forty minutes ago, seven PM today. Offer up to fifty percent off designer menswear on Paul Kes- Paul Kos- uh, Costello UK in their mid season sale, including ties, shirts and suits. It just I'm his- you're about to
2: say Paul Pesky Salido. No um, Then He's like, got his own got... range of suits
3: It just struck me as a strange thing Why are the Football League tweeting out offers 50% uh, off designer menswear
2: Hacked or short of cash One of the two Very strange I would suggest maybe the latter Maybe the latter That said if there's any products you'd like us to plug on the We Are Going Up Twitter Please yeah. do get in touch At Wagyu Podcast And we'll do just that Right then So coming up over the course of this podcast We are going to hear from Uh, Various fans, we asked you last week to get in touch with your club's cult heroes. Thank you to everyone who has got in touch. So clubs such as Bristol City, Bradford, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, Yeovil, Bury as well. There's more. uh, All on the way. Millwall. Don't forget Millwall. Never forget about Millwall. Um, But we're going to start with, first of all, a man who made 313 appearances over six years for the Tractor Boys in East Anglia. Uh, not to mention forty six goals during that time as well. Bit of a fan's favourite at Portman Road, Mister Matt Holland. Not just the hero at Ipswich,
3: Charlton. Yes, played whatever well two hundred games for Charlton. I mean, a, a hero as well to to fans of Bournemouth mm. uh, and also Republic of Ireland as well. A Fine career on the international
2: stage for Ireland. I remember his. I remember his goal in the two thousand and two World Cup. Yeah, I remember watching that very early in the morning. I can't remember who it was against, but Spain, I remember it was one nil. Was it Spain? Spain. Yeah, he missed a penalty in the shootout. Oh, right, he okay. can score the goal. I'll well, I'll look that up. Born in Bury as well, great man. Um so why have we uh, why have we got Matt Holland on? Where's this all come from? Well, we we had a we had a tweet in this
3: afternoon in fact as we record from, this from an Ipswich fan. Andre
2: Devereux. Andre Devereux who says Matt Holland Andre. Ipswich the man it's could Andre is it? Oh, sorry, Andrew. Why did I say Andre? Um, <laughs> I was going to say, Andre? Did I get that wrong? No, I didn't. It's Andrew, yeah. yeah. There you go. Well, Andrew or Andre, whichever he prefers. Uh, Andrew, uh, Matt Hollander, Ipswich, the man could do no wrong. The very definition of consistency, a true cult hero. Absolutely, uh, and a nice guy. Um, he'll be familiar to, to many
3: of our listeners through his work in the media these days, but a fine player, and he was kind enough to sit
2: down with us a bit earlier on. Yes, well, yeah, we actually had him on, on the Prostate Cancer UK thing last year, didn't we? in we my did. mind uh, isn't yeah. playing tricks on me ok then right so uh, DC caught up earlier on today with Mr Matt Holland Ipswich Town's cult hero this is what happened this is the
3: We Are Going Up podcast uh, so Matt Holland
2: thanks very much for for agreeing to having a
3: chat with us um, Andrew Devereaux on Twitter Ipswich Town fan has tweeted in and he said Matt Holland at Ipswich Town FC the man could do no wrong the very definition of consistency a true cult hero and when you're talking about cult heroes, it's quite—it's kind of a subjective sort of term. For some people, it may be a maverick sort of striker. For some, it might—I don't know—might be a crazy sort of goalkeeper that's that's a, a club for 20 years or so. But also, and this is where I think you fit into the category, it's for players that are. Always there, always <laughs> consistent in the heart of the action in the central midfield as you were. And I think from your time from, from at Bournemouth through to when you were at Charlton, there's about 10 seasons where you, you
1: pretty much didn't miss a game ever. Well, I didn't miss many, no, that's for sure. I think it was something like six years uh, without missing a league game uh, after leaving uh, the last season at Bournemouth, I think, and, and the first five years at, at Ipswich. I didn't actually miss a league game. Uh, the, the only time I did was actually when I was on international duty, uh, that we only had two players called up for international duty sat that the game at Gillingham was was um, went ahead, and I I ended up missing that game, so that was a bit of a disappointment if I'm honest. Uh, that's very kind of Andrew to say those those kind words. It's it's funny I think his memory must have um, uh, forgotten the uh, the bad games that I had at Ipswich Town. It's uh, it's a long time since I was there now. I think 12 years since I since I left the club. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose I always prided myself on, on being consistent. And when you talk about cult heroes as well, it was for me the the, the connection I had with the Ipswich supporters. I always which I'm remembered for is, is for clapping the fans uh, at the end of a game and going around the whole of the stadium and doing that so you, you sort of get remembered for, for little things like that I know Chris Powell at, at Charlton for instance he used to uh, when, we'd, when we'd won that is uh, go down the tunnel and then come out and do a little jump in front of, uh, in front of the supporters so uh, Luke Chambers now at Ipswich Town I know he's, uh, he's the captain and he, he does a little fist pump to the supporters so thing, little things like that p- players get remembered for as well but it's very kind of him to say those nice words. How important is that connection with the fans? And you mentioned some examples there
3: and yourself. As football fans, we've, we've all been in the stands and we've all had our favorite players, whether it be you know when we were kids or looking at the game nowadays. But you often hear talk people talk about the game nowadays and commenting on some of the players, particularly when you get towards the, the higher echelons of the game, that perhaps there isn't that appreciation from the players to what it
1: means to be a player for that club and represent those fans. I think sometimes in the defense of the Premier League players it's not so much them not wanting to connect with the, with the uh, with the fans it's more the club and how they deal with those players and try and keep them um, protected if you like you know even I think at Man United, for instance, when it comes to the, after the game and their cars, they go and park their cars for them and then bring the cars right to the entrance so they don't have to sort of mix with all the supporters after the game as well so I think it's from from a player's point of view I, I would defend them in lots of ways because I think that they would perhaps you know mingle with the fans better than they than they do but it's simply because they are protected by the clubs to to a certain extent um but there there are clubs that are very good in the community and do a lot of good community work and I think that's recognized uh but I think that connection is is vital you know particularly in in the in the premier league there is as i say a, maybe that the club do protect the players a little bit from that side of it um, but I, I do think it's important that the, the fans can connect with with the players, um, and the players at times maybe could do a little bit more. How, when you were when you were playing for not
3: just for Ipswich but for Charlton, for Bournemouth, all the clubs you played for, you were often captain of the team as well, and in the position that you played. And how, how aware were you when you were putting on that shirt, putting on that armband? Of how much it meant to, to represent those clubs and how much it meant to represent the fans. When you, when particularly when you were playing, you're out there in the middle. Did you shut it all out, or are you really
1: connecting with the fans as you're playing, if you like? Well, it's difficult, I suppose. When you cross that white line, the only thing on your mind and the only thought is to try and get three points, no matter how how it comes. You, it's trying to win the match. So, so uh, in terms of of then thinking about the supporters, maybe not. But you know, I'm a supporter I'm a football fan, and I and I know what it's like watching a team and and thinking, you know, could they do a bit more? And and, and perhaps could he have gone that extra yard? And and so, uh, you know, I always pride myself on giving a hundred percent. You know, you don't always play well, and you you have poor performances, and things don't go well for you in a match day. But I always felt that I gave a hundred percent, and I think that supporters do forgive an awful lot if they see someone doing that. He had some great times
3: Ipswich, you know, the, the promotion to the Premier League, the playoff win at Wembley getting into Europe, but if you could pinpoint maybe specific games, it probably will be that player final, but what were your, your real highlights of your of your time at Ipswich? Maybe there are some that we wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily think of
1: Cracky, I, 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 mean, I had some fabulous times there, six, six years, and, and from the moment I arrived to the moment I left, I, you know, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of the of the football club. Even now, I'm I'm only sort of 20 minutes away from it, which I'd love to get down to Portman Road far more often than I do, but it, unfortunately, work doesn't permit me to get there too often. Um, but I love you know, I love I love the football club and, and love going and watch them whenever I, I possibly can. Um, God, blimey, I, I was supporters' player of the year twice, so that stands out for me. Uh, the the playoff final, of course, is, is one that everyone will always remember the European adventure was great getting into the UEFA Cup and, and you know Playing against Inter Milan was was unbelievable. Alan Armstrong header uh, at Portman Road saw us beat them one um, 0 which was a fantastic result. Didn't quite go to plan in the San Siro, but but the, the ten thousand I think it was maybe twelve thousand Ipswich fans. Uh, it was almost double the, uh, you know, um, half the attendance there that that night of Ipswich supporters. I, that will always um, I, I will always always remember. So there's been some amazing times, and and um, it's difficult to pinpoint you know exactly which which one stands out the most, but but certainly the playoff final and the European adventure I think most people will will remember fondly and your your time at charlton now you would have played
3: with with a man who I think was as I'm sure you'll agree a very different player to yourself but certainly uh, epitomizes the term cult hero and that's Paolo Dicanio yeah what was it like to, to play with him uh, and also to train with him and just to be around him
1: it was an education if I'm honest you know a lot of people won't think this but it, there was nobody trained harder than Paolo Di Canio he was the first one in the training ground he was in the gym uh, before training he uh, he was the last one off the training field then he was back in the gym after that I thought he was a brilliant example to younger players Players. You know, he was 35 years of age when he when he joined Charlton, 34, 35, and he was always towards the front of the running. He was always desperate to be the very best he could be, whether it was, whether it was the running, whether it was the five-a-side, whether it was an 11-a-side, whatever it might be. He always wanted to win, uh, and I think that for someone who'd been there seen it, done it, to still be doing that at 34-35 was a brilliant example to, to some of the younger players. Yes, he could be mad and he could, he could have his moments where you think, well, crikey, what, what's the matter with you today? If, if a decision goes against him in the five-a-side, it's like the end of the world. Um, but I couldn't speak highly enough of the work rate that he put in on a daily basis to, to be the very best he could be. When you're, when you're playing with a, with a player of, of Di sort of
3: ability, is it at all at times frustrating in terms of, you know how good he can be and and they can win matches for you in, in a split second with a piece of genius. But, you know, also times when he might just do a bit too much or, you know, or, or is it, you know, you accept that
1: he's the best player. We've got to give him the ball all the time. It can be frustrating. Yeah, I I, I would say. Um, but I think as a, as a player, you, and certainly the type of player that I was, I recognise that you need a balance in your side and in your squad. You, know, you can't all be the same player. You can't have just 11 workhorses. You can't just have 11 flair players. You've got to have that balance. And when you've got someone like him, you always felt that you could win a game. You know, your defence and your holding midfield players, they can hold out and you can be solid defensively and, and, um, and, and you know keep a clean sheet. But you still got to score at the other end, so you need people who can do something different, who are mavericks, who will, who will try different things. And he was one of those. And and more often than not, he did he did come up with a moment of magic that you know provided a goal, scored a goal. Uh, and so I think as a player, you accept him for what he is and, and realise that actually no, it's not through lack of effort. He's certainly working, um, and things might not always go his way, but he could win you a game. And and I think you do need that balance in your side. And uh, just finally. Going back even
3: further than your than your playing career, when you were growing up as a fan of football, uh, hoping to be an aspiring young pro one day, who who were the who were the people who were the cult heroes that you really
1: idolised when you were a young man? Yeah, I, I guess I you was know, I was a Man United fan. I grew I was born in Bury and um, I was not you know not too far away from Old Trafford, so I used to go and watch them quite a bit. Uh, so at that time um I, I guess they signed Brian Robson i think in 1981 and he was the player that i always uh, you know looked up to and aspired to and and you know, try and model your game and i'm not saying i was anywhere near as good as Brian Robson but that box to box midfielder someone who would be willing to put a tackle in you know he was playing on with injuries um uh, scored important goals uh, led the team he was captain and uh, so I would say that, that Brian Robson was the one that I looked up to as a kid. Did you ever think when you when you were watching Brian Robson as a young man, as a young Manchester United fan, did you ever think you would be in that position one day of being a cult hero yourself? Cool. No, no, not at that stage. No, crikey. I mean, certainly you dream of it. Uh, yeah, crikey, I went and watched my dad from the age of three, stood on the touchline and, and loved football, absolutely loved it. And so... I, I always dreamt of of, um, of becoming a professional footballer, dreamt of actually uh, winning the FA Cup, dreamt of, of walking the steps at Wembley and lifting the FA Cup. Uh, so you had the dreams as a child, but you know, it's, it's fantasy. It's something that, that you think happens to everyone else and, and not yourself. Uh, but you know, I was very fortunate, managed to do that, and uh, I didn't play in an FA Cup final, but I did play in the playoff final, which I've already mentioned at Ipswich. And so to walk up the steps at, at Wembley, lift a trophy was... Um, all right, not the FA Cup, but it was certainly a second best and a fantastic occasion. So very, very fortunate to have done it. People will look at footballers
3: and they will see the, the amount of money that they've earned. And you know, I'm sure you you didn't earn the money that the top stars do today, but I'm sure you, you did OK for yourself over the course of your career. Um, and, and sometimes people focus too much on, on, on that side of things, I I think. What does it feel like as a footballer and to look back on your career now and to know that, Regardless of all the fame and fortune and anything else that came with the game, you represented football clubs and you really meant something to fans. Thousands upon thousands of fans
1: up and down the country for the teams you played for. I mean, it means an awful lot. To be honest, I mean, I was named in the Hall of Fame at Ipswich a couple of years back, and that was a, a real honour. You know, when I when I look back at some of the names that have, are, are on that Hall of Fame at Ipswich, to be just on along that alongside those names and on that list is is just a, a real honour for me. Um, so so yeah, I, I suppose um, I, yeah, it's very humbling if you're honest. I mean, I, as I say, I I feel very fortunate to have been a, a professional footballer. I mean, you mentioned uh, the money that's involved. You know, when I look back on my career, I don't think about oh that contract I got there and I earned that. I look back and think, well, we got promoted with Ipswich. We finished fifth in the Premier League. I think, when I was at Charlton we finished you know in, in Charlton's highest ever position in the Premier League we finished seventh Bournemouth I was part of the great escape um, you know the, the transfer fee that, that Bournemouth received for me helped them survive look where they are now so they're the things that I look back on uh, with, with an immense amount of pride I mean my dad followed me here there and everywhere and I've got um, all the scrapbooks at home uh, from when I was sort of six seven eight playing matches and all the way through and it's fantastic now to be able to look back and, and see some of the stuff that I've done show my children um, some of of the stuff that I did, uh, and hopefully you know, one day perhaps they'll follow my footsteps. You never know.
2: Ipswich Town's cult hero himself, Mister Matt Holland, speaking to DC a little bit earlier on this cult heroes special edition, uh, if you will. Of uh, we are going up top guy, and um, yeah, just a reminder really of how incredibly quickly Ipswich rose from you know that playoff final in the championship to playing in Europe, and then suddenly back down again.
3: I know. I know it was a, an amazing rise and a very swift fall, wasn't it? And as I alluded to in the interview, there, Matt Matt was a player that you could rely on. And and those Ipswich fans who, who were fans of the team during that time, he would have been a constant presence in that team, constantly in the middle, in the heart of the action, in in the in the heart of the of the team as a central midfielder. And he was he, he's not a player. You heard me talk about De Canio. He's not He's not a, f- a spectacular player. He's not a very skillful player. He'd be the first to admit that. But he was a man who always worked hard, always gave his best and, you know, was a real solid base for Ipswich, for Charlton, for Ireland, for Bournemouth when he was younger. And you need those players. And, that, and I'm not surprised that, that Andrew suggested him as a, as a cult hero because... You know, we relate to those players. We relate to those players that come up to us at the end of the games, and, and they will salute us, and they will clap us, even if we've lost five nil away from home. And that relationship between players
2: and between fans it is really, really important. I'll tell you what: the sign of a true cult hero is when the fans wear t-shirts with that player's name on mm-hmm. still, and I'm sure the Ipswich well, fans got, do.
3: I've got, yeah, I'm sure they do. I've, um, we mentioned Lloyd Dooley last week. Last week, yeah. Yeah, I've got a Lloyd Dooley t-shirt. That I ordered from the website called Cult Zeros. Don't you, have you well, heard of that you, website?
2: Yes. Well, do you remember many years ago when we were in the studio at Tover Place when uh, I uh, revealed my Leno John Lewis's Name as a Shop t-shirt mm. to you? Um, and that was ordered from that very same um, website. So there you go. Check out the, the, those t-shirts if you can. Right. More Cult Heroes chat in just a second.
0: You're listening to We Are Going Up. We've got the football league covered.
2: So you are listening to We Are Going Up's Cult Hero Special. Uh, Matt Holland speaking to us a little bit earlier. And another man we are going to catch up with, but we can't actually do it on this show, unfortunately, because of timings, is a Bristol City legend. A man who had two spells at the club, uh, read about 400 appearances, 50, 60 goals. And now he cleans the kits. Mr. Scott Murray, DC, who was suggested by various people.
3: Yeah, uh, I know the exiled Robin was one of the guys that suggested it. A few other Bristol City fans as well. And as we'll hear, uh, Sean Thorne, who's been on the pod a number of times talking about Bristol City, he actually suggested him as well and was recorded a, a bit for us. And I've heard Sean talk about Scott Moore on a number of occasions. And from the tweets we got as well, he very much seems to be somebody that the Bristol City fans hold in really high regard. He's still at the club there. And I think there, there are a number, and I'll talk about someone else similar to this later on. I think the, the 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 multiple spells at a club is yes. the, is another hallmark of a of a cult hero somebody that you know leaves maybe doesn't have the success elsewhere and and is pining for for the for the glory days and for the place where he calls home and the fans want him back and and it can often not always but often be a, a glorious sort of second time around i can think of another a couple of Watford players like that over the years and um yeah a, a great choice i think and a man that's A great choice. I think a man that still has a a good, strong relationship with the Bristol City fans right up to this day. A a good character as well. But unfortunately, uh, we haven't been able to speak to him just yet. He he has agreed to the interview. You'll you'll see this. If if you follow Scott Murray on Twitter, you'll be able to see because he's tweeted us a number of times sort of quoting our tweet as if uh, not even sort of Privately replying to us that he wants that he's up, he's up for Flaunting coming on. Flaunting his
2: cult statusness.
3: Yeah, but he, but he won't. Uh, he hasn't actually, as of as of time of recording, confirmed and got back to us with with his number. So, uh, his Twitter admin is preventing you from hearing <laughs> Scott Murray. So, so what we thought we'd do, and this is a good opportunity to to maybe kickstart a bit of a, an ongoing series of of episodes. So, I mean, let's try and speak to a number of cult heroes between now and the end of the season and, and beyond. And what better man to start with in the coming weeks
2: with Scott Murray? Kind of like an in-conversation with, if you will. Yeah. When we were at university, the TV channel there had a very much a strand called in-conversation with where bands such as the Hoosiers would sit down. I do vaguely remember. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll hopefully get Scott on um, on the show um, in the next few weeks we or whatever. Will. We will. He let's, will be on. Okay, let's hear something. Don't worry something. about it. Let's hear some of your cult heroes Thanks to everyone who's got in touch And we're going to start uh, with friend of the show Sean Thorne, uh, BBC Radio Bristol Sport Talking all about the man we just mentioned
4: Mr Scotty Murray If you're talking cult heroes for Bristol City Then it's got to be Scotty Murray The reasons for that? Well, there's the obvious ones about him being so city through and through that, despite you know his playing days are are behind him, he's still at the club in a kitman capacity. All the managers want to keep him around because he's a personification of the club. But there's also the classic Scotty moments, like when he scored a brace at Ninian Park against Cardiff and just ran past all the fans with his ear cut. An image that's now uh, on one of those massive surfer flags uh, in the East End at Ashton Gate. Uh, There was the fact that he scored 27 goals in the 2002 three season. Is the fact that he scored a disgusting chip against Middlesbrough right over Mark Schwartz's head in an FA Cup match, which has made all the more outrageous that he scored it with his left foot, which he usually only used for standing on. Also, when he came back to Bristol City, I remember me and the boys who I went to football with at the time seeing that Scotty had come back on CFAX, which led to us phoning pretty much every City fan we knew to tell them that Scotty had returned. Most of them reacted as if we told them about a lottery win. That's how much he meant to, to the City fans. I'll finish off with, he was even spotted in the crowd at a wrestling show in Bristol and the wrestler swear down got out of the ring mid-match and started a Scott Scott, Super Scott chant, which the crowd heartily joined in with. So yeah, cult hero for Bristol City, no doubt, is Scotty Murray. Hi guys, my name's Peter Bryce from the 92.net and I'm a Yeovil Town fan. At Hewish Park, we've got a
0: few cult heroes from the core of the conference winning team, the biggest of which is probably Terry Skiverton, whose heroic performances spanning over a decade and knack of nicking a goal from centre-back made him a firm fan's favourite. But there's also Abdul El-Kholti. Far from being a star member of the squad, he was a utility player and could step in at fullback on either side or anywhere across the midfield. He was at the club around the time the Only Fools and Horses Christmas special aired. You know the one where they go to France and they accidentally bring back an unexpected passenger called Gary. Due to his slight resemblance of Gary, pretty much every time he got the ball, the
4: cry of "Gary!" echoed from the terraces hi i'm david and my football team is leeds united and my cult hero is andrew hughes uh, Andy Hughes was an integral part of our promotion winning team from League One and the reason he was a cult hero, not because he was outstanding in any way really, but it was just because he got Leeds United, he really understood the passion of the fans and ever since he, he left he still understands what the fans feel, you know, he's a Manchester boy as well which never really helps, you know, endear, the, endear a person to Leeds fans. He's just always been really passionate about United, despite the fact he's not a United fan. And that's why he is my cult hero.
0: Hello, I'm Stephen, a Nottingham Forest fan. And our cult hero is Jason Lee, uh, who's a striker who played for us in the mid-90s during our Premier League years. Uh, He might not have been the greatest of footballers, but he was a useful understudy to the likes of Stan Collymore and Brian Roy. And his knack of... Chipping in with a few key goals and his hard work up front won over the Forest supporters. You might remember that he was parodied quite a bit by Badil and Skinner on Fantasy Football back in the day. Uh, and he also had that famous haircut which uh, sparked the chant, he's got a pineapple on his head. So he might not have been one of the greatest strikers that Forrest have ever had but he's fondly remembered by many supporters.
2: More of your cult heroes on the way later in the show. That was just a small sample of the ones uh, we received. And every club has a cult hero, I think it's fair to say. Absolutely.
3: Uh, do you want to know mine? Not Lloyd Doily. Another one. I thought of another one. Okay. Um, How are we doing this? I'm, I'm going You've got to try and guess him. I'm going to give you some clues. Okay. Yes, right. no
2: questions. So um,
3: this, this is a former Watford player.
2: Okay. Uh, striker. Yes. Uh, played for Watford predominantly in the two thousands. Uh, predom predominantly, yeah, yeah. Okay, so play well, for Watford, yeah, actually, yeah, all completely, yeah. Oh right, okay. Uh, played for Watford uh, before they were in the like, under Beaveroy before that time. Yes. Okay. Right, God, you're testing my knowledge here. Yeah. Um, uh, English? No. <laughs> right. Uh, European. Yes. Uh, an international. Yes. Okay. Ever played in a major tournament? No. <laughs> okay. Ever played for another English club? Yes. Okay. Um, is he well known for scoring lots of goals for Watford? He did score lots of goals for Watford. Yeah. Oh God! I. Right. Um. Is he still uh, still playing? No. <laughs> is he a manager? No. Is he involved in football to not the best that of I'm your knowledge? Of.
3: Right. Not certainly not in this country.
2: Um Sorry, what was the answer to the tournament? Has he ever played at a major tournament? No, he hasn't. Right. Is he Latvian? He's not Latvian. Oh, okay. Um uh, Is he a, a target man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very I'm trying to. So. I, I honestly, my my. I'm not very. You know, Watford's not my team. So to ask me for early noughties Watford strikers who are not English is is quite a tough mm. task. You uh, definitely, you, know, him. You you definitely know him. Can you give me a clue? Can you give me a clue? Well, he played for
3: three other clubs, right? Uh, in In England, all of whom are currently in the Championship. Right. Okay. Um, but Watford were his first club in England. D- has he played in the Premier League? He has played in the Premier
2: League. Okay. Um, he also
3: he also adheres to the aforementioned two spell rule of a cult hero. <laughs> he had two spells at Watford.
2: Oh dear. Um, uh, did he play for Leeds? He did not play for Leeds. Uh, play for? as he played for another? Well, uh, as he played for a, L- a London team. He has played for
3: another London team. Actually, played for two other London teams.
2: Okay. Does um, he play for Spurs? No. Chelsea? No. Downsize your expectations. <laughs> Wimbledon? No. Okay, Charlton. No. QPR. Yes. Alright, he's played for QPR. I bet loads of people have got this, listen to this already. Yeah, I haven't got a clue here.
3: I've, I've no idea, mate. So Watford I'm going down a blind alley QPR, here. another London team in the Premier League. Um, actually, there's another. There's another. Class. There's four, West four teams. There's four teams he's actually played for, who or who all of whom are in the championship. Just remembered. Uh, not West Ham. No, I have no idea,
2: but, uh, mate. You got right, the other me clubs.
3: I'll, I'll tell you the other clubs see if you can yep. get it. So, also played for Fulham, right? Also played for Bolton, right? Also played for Cardiff. Cardiff striker, Sorry. brilliant in the air. Very much the short version of Rudy Gestede at the moment. He's br- absolutely brilliant in the air.
2: Hyder Helgerson. Right, Heide Helgeson. Okay. Would you ever, would, would, would Did you ever have got it? him? No, no, never. <laughs> he, he is my, I was thinking
3: about this in the week, and Lloyd Doyley is one of my favourite players of all time, but, but Helgeson, for me, does epitomise that cult hero status because he isn't a superstar. He's not scored loads and loads and loads of goals for the teams he's played for. I think we're the only club that he's scored 20 goals for in a season, and that was only one season that he was with us. But he he scored goals wherever he's been at a decent enough level and and, and he's, as I said, the best player I've ever seen in the air. He's not the tallest man. I don't even think he was necessarily over six foot, but he was superb at leaping and fearless, utterly fearless. And and there's a moment that, that will live long in the memory of all Watford fans when they think of Helgerson. And, it, and it's not to do with something that he did on the pitch. It was after he scored a goal. I think this was in the season after we were relegated from the Premier League under Graham Taylor. And he went to celebrate with the fans and he went to jump over the barriers. And we had like the wooden barriers back then that were kind of like a sort of pyramid, sort of triangle sort of structure, if you can imagine what, what I mean. And he, and he sort of stood, he jumped up on the, on the, on the advertising hoarding and sort of balancing on, on the point of this triangular structure. And it fell it fell backwards, and with it, he went <laughs> clattering down onto the floor, flat on his back, head hit the floor, uh, and Ouch. got up, got, got up, carried on playing as if, as if nothing had happened. Uh, and I remember seeing him play as well against Chelsea in the FA Cup. I, th- I think it was the third round, uh, and it was at Vicarage Road, and we drew 2-2. He actually scored a goal early on that wasn't over the line but was given, much to my joy and all the other Watford fans. But I think it was Marcel Desailly and John Terry were the two centre-backs. Certainly Desiree, I remember, being taught a lesson. I mean this is one of the world's great central defenders, a man that's won everything you could wish to win in the game. And Helgeson, a championship player at the time, he absolutely dominated him, won every ball in the air, muscled him out of the out of the pitcher every time they came up up against each other, and it was a fantastic performance. He was a man that wasn't skillful, he's a man that wasn't quick, but he was a man that left everything out there on the pitch and we adored him we absolutely adored him and you know he's certainly up there in my sort of top two or three favorite players of all time in a Watfordshire
2: and undoubtedly he he is a cult hero I might put some like soaring instrumental music under that that was very much like i <laughs> will a- be
3: interested to hear what people fans of, of QPR of of Cardiff of Bolton of, of Fulham I think QPR and Cardiff probably the other two clubs that would hold him in highest esteem because even even recently when QPR were in the Premier League when they came up under Warnock he still scored goals and he still held his own when he was well into his thirties. Then so uh,
2: he, he's a well he's a well loved player by more than just Watford fans. I think you're listening to an ode to Heidar Helgerson on the We Are Going Up podcast. Would you like some more from listeners? Um, yeah. This is from Matties and Morgan fan. May I suggest Kevin Ellison for your cult hero show, the biggest wind up merchant. In the Football League. And that's an interesting point because cult heroes,
3: by their nature, are players who are loved by their own fans and and who will be remembered long in the memories of the clubs they've played for. But they're also, quite often, and Kevin Ellison's a great example, remembered by other fans, but for the wrong reasons. Yes. Players that you hate to come up against because they wind you up. But when he's on your team, and I imagine Kevin Ellison would be very much like this for the Morecambe fans, you know, they love him. But other teams, you know, he's he'll foul them he'll get last minute goals score goals out of nowhere and I mean Robbie Savage has got to be someone like this as well <laughs> a despised player for so many reasons by so many people but I'm sure I'm but Is sure, he a
2: cult hero Savage? Th- is he cool? I think oh, I don't. maybe
3: I don't know it'd be interesting to hear fans of Leicester City He's not much he's not very cult anymore because he's, anymore, he's so but,
2: he's omnipresent no, do you, you know what um, I mean though and
3: there, there are countless yeah, yeah, players yeah. like
2: that down, down the years you know And it, the thing about um, Ellison as well he's the kind of guy who would if he missed a chance and your fans gave him some some stick. He'd have Mm. a word with the fans behind the goal or he'd offer a little bit of uh, sarcastic applause and that'd get everyone riled up. And then when he scored, he'd run over and he'd cop his ear to the fans. Mm. That is the kind of character we're talking about here. But I do think with players like him, you know, he's an excellent player as well, which, I mean, some of these cult heroes are are going to be cult heroes because they were useless or they played five minutes like the old Ali Dia or Ali Dye or whatever at Southampton. But Mm. there are players like Ellison who were cult because against all the odds given their physique or their age or whatever their ability on the deck mm. they, they can still hack Akin it Akin fenwa yes Akin was a, a great example uh, yeah and he uh, obviously now Twitter and everything has helped him build his cult status yeah in many ways he now asks, he, he's now very much asking people to tweet him goal celebrations before games and stuff uh, which is great uh, Mark Cosgrove uh, Leeds cult hero in recent time was Andy Hughes uh, what else have we got here Danny Danny the Basildon Blue Adam Barrett Southend fan and legend always helps when they're a fan of your club as well yeah. that always goes down well uh, James says always got a soft spot for Martin O'Connor at Birmingham he was a warrior uh, the other end of the scale Christoph Dugary's goals kept us up and a couple of uh, older ones here which I did enjoy because these are players I haven't heard of before and I had to google image search these players Gary Briggs for Blackpool back in the yeah, 80s yeah, make sure you Google. is a fantastic like Panini of the time equivalent sort of cut out of him. And also Ted McMinn, suggested by Jonathan Rogers for Derby County back in the day. So I'm going to include some pictures of these people on the, the website where we put the podcast up so you can see some of these faces. What about you then, mate? Who well, would you choose? Uh, we're going to play in a second a clip of a uh, very fan, I think it's Rich, uh, mentioning John Paskin who was a player who played for Bury very briefly in the mid-90s. One I remember was Laurent Dejafo. Now, I'm <laughs> going to do some research on this guy. He was a very much an enigmatic French striker. With, well, you could also have bai Chung Bataya, the first Indian ever to play in, in British football at Bury. Um, if if, if, if bai Chung Bataya was joining Bury now in 2015, think of all the Facebook fans and the, yeah. the Twitter followers he would bring with him. It wasn't quite the same back in 2001. He was just an average central midfielder as it happened. Laurent Dejafo played in the late 90s. Here he is. He's a retired Beninese footballer. Uh, Jaffo, born in France, moved to Africa at two years old. Let's have a look at some of the teams he played for. He played for Montpellier, uh, Chamois Norte, Red Star Paris, Air United, Bury, Stockport County, Sheffield United, Aberdeen and Mansfield. His career appearances... 50 goals in 250 games. Well, that's not, not actually too bad. He's now working as a football agent, assisting Sheffield United with their scouting. I remember he joined us uh, in the Neil Warnock era. He sounds like a Neil Warnock kind of player. Yeah, yeah, which would explain why <laughs> he ended up going to Sheffield United for two seasons. We played Sheffield United on the TV in a game I've still got a VHS of somewhere knocking around in the loft at home. 3 all it finished. And I remember he scored a goal. He was chucking it down. Uh, I think it's a Friday night, and he scored a goal where he he went up with a keeper, Sheffield United keeper, basically elbowed the guy in the face and sort of nodded the ball in, and the goal was given. So we all absolutely loved him and while other players were running around chasing the referee. Uh, just an overly physical, not very good on the deck, aggressive, always in trouble with the referee, that kind of character. Mm. On your team, I wouldn't say you loved him, but you've certainly made things interesting. So that would be one of mine. But we've got loads to get through. Would you like to hear some more? Yes, please. Let's hear some more. We're going to start this time with... Is this Dom or Tom? It's Dom, isn't it? Dom. Yeah, it's Dom. It's Dom. Dom Dom from uh, Bantam's Banter. Uh, If you're a long-time listener of the show, you'll remember joining Bradford's epic FA Cup... No, sorry, League Cup run of a few years ago when you ended up going to Wembley to watch the final. Mm. Uh, We had about 14 cult heroes that season. (laughs) They did. Um, We got Dom on quite a few times during the season to uh, document that campaign. All that's still on the website. Um, We also had him on, was it last season? We've had him on a few times anyway. And he presents the extremely popular Bantam's Bantam podcast. And um, yeah, he gave us his Bradford City cult hero. Stuart McCall is a cult hero at Bradford City because he's a local lad come good. One of the most iconic, if not the most iconic player to ever wear the claret and amber. He came through the ranks in the 1980s, becoming a star player during the 84-85 league winning season. Sadly, that season was marred by the devastating fire. In the aftermath that followed, Stuart McCall became a prominent figure. Visiting hospitals, attending fans' funerals, he was still a very young player. McCall left for Everton, then on to Rangers, becoming an icon north of the border too. He returned to the Bantams in 1998 and captained the team to promotion to the Premier League. A true leader who would carry the team through a tough game if he had to. He left the club only to return as manager. That didn't go so well for him, but we forgive him. He's one of our own, a fans favourite and a real legend down at Valley Parade. He supports Leeds United though, so don't tell anyone that
3: bit. My name's Richard Beedy. I'm a very fan and my cult hero goes back to the mid 90s. A striker called John Paskin, who was a South African centre forward who played a fairly key part in our double promotion under Stan Turnant. He didn't hang around long, didn't really make that many starts, but we um, had a real impact on on that uh, on that successful side.
0: Hi, my name is Joe Anflit, and I'm a Millwall fan. And my cult hero is Millwall's all-time record goal scorer and current manager, Neil Bomber Harris. Now, it might be a cliche to some, but Neil is one of the few players I've seen play at the Den that actually understands the club and its supporters. He knows how passionate we are, and he always matched our passion with his performances on the pitch. But there's one reason why Harris is not just my cult hero, but I think every Millwall fan's cult hero and that's his ability to never lay down and die because Neil has had many setbacks in his career in 2001 he was diagnosed with cancer and a year later he was given the all clear and I remember his comeback goal against Watford so vividly the absolute joy of being back on that pitch and doing what he did best and he showed that in his celebration now he's had many doubters in his career Dennis Wise amongst them he forced him out of the den but thankfully he came back to the club for a second stint where he eventually took over from Teddy Sheringham as our all-time top goal scorer, But even on his return he was met with more obstacles Kenny Jackett told him he wasn't in his plans and I actually remember speaking to Neil at the time when he'd been left out of the squad and how hurt he was but how determined he was to get back in as well. And he did and he changed Jackett's mind and led us to two playoff finals. Of course we lost one but thankfully winning the second. And of course Neil was now our manager and he has no money and not much experience and I truly hope that his legendary status is isn't diminished but somehow in the back of my mind I know it will be as big a success off the pitch as he was on it and that is why Neil Harris is my cult hero
2: thank you very much to everyone who's got in touch um, with the show this week with your cult heroes you can still tweet us by the way at Wagyu Podcast and we'll retweet some of those if they come in this week your club's cult hero please now right at the start of that little montage you heard from Dom Newton Collins from Bantam's band talking about Stuart McCall do you remember when Bradford got promoted to the mm. Premier League. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. I under, exactly do. Was it under Paul Jewell? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when they was. got promoted. And he very much got on top of his c- a car in the car park. I can't remember if it was in the... A- I think they got promoted in an afternoon. I think they were playing Holloway, if I remember rightly. I might be wrong. Anyway, mm. I'm not sure if it's the same day or the next day. Basically, a bit of a celebration back in the car park at Valley Parade, all the fans there. He gets on the top of one of these cars to do a little dance uh, parked up in the car park. And he's got a can of something in his hand, some horrific lager, and very much uh, stacks it. Oh, and,
3: and stacks it doesn't even begin to do it justice. No. It is absolutely superb. And, and of course, his can of, of, of lager very much remains intact oh, yeah. throughout the
2: whole process. <laughs> I think um, it's actually been gifted this, uh, oh, it if you're very tech it. savvy. If you search it, it's on YouTube. It's definitely on YouTube. And I remember on Soccer AM at the time... Um, this was played over and over and over again. So, yeah, big credit, uh, big, big credit. I suppose big credit to Stuart McCall for that. And, of course, he went back and managed the club subsequently. Uh, Right, what have you got, DC? I think you very briefly
3: mentioned it before, that there there are another sort of strand, if you like, of of these cult hero players. can be players that you hold in high affection because of what they could have been, not necessarily what they did. It might be a player that, was on loan for five games and was brilliant, but then left. Or a player that came for six months and then left under a cloud. Or but you saw something in them that made you want more, and you longed to see what they could have done if they'd stayed around a bit longer. And I can I can think of a player for Watford, and I'm, this is a player that I'm sure hardly anyone will have heard of. He played for Watford in the Premier League in the 99-2000 season under Graham Taylor, a Frenchman called Xavier Gravelan. Google him. He played about six games, I think. And, and, he, and he scored a couple of goals, scored uh, two goals and a winner at home to Southampton on Boxing Day, which is one of our only victories in that season. We came from behind and it was a, a great goal and, and, and a great victory at the time. And then got sent off, I think in a game away at Sunderland, if, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, and he was just mad. He was a nu- absolutely mad Frenchman with wild eyes but he, he does retain this sort of semi sort of legendary cult status at, at Watford because of kind of how nuts he was and the very very brief glimpse of brilliance that he gave us during that season and 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 I think there, there's probably a lot of players like that over the years but and I imagine a lot of them would be foreign players because of the the loan system or, or transfers that were made sort of free transfers that were made in in the mid 90s and stuff and and they're very different to to the players like like Helgerson or, or Stuart McCall or or Matt Holland or or Scott Murray or these players that are kind of ever presence and have come back time and time again and always have a strong relationship with the club. You may only have seen these players play five times, but you kind of hold them in a, in a special place in your heart nonetheless.
2: Do you know he had um, Gravellan? Twenty clubs over his eighteen-year yeah. career. I mean, it just typifies it. Yeah. yeah. Well, where do you stand on the kind of one club man being a cult hero? Someone like Matt Latissier. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, I, the, yeah. the reason I thought that was because you just said because of what they could have been, and obviously with Latissier, he was a great player. But you know, a lot of people say he could have been a world beater if he'd moved to a bigger team. You know, at his peak in the 90s or whatever, he didn't get enough recognition for England. But that only increases his cult status hmm. in many well, ways.
3: Yeah, well, exactly. Obviously, for Southampton, he you, know, you kind of have to get down into the semantics. And think, what do you mean by this word cult? How literally do you take it? How important is it? I mean, basically, we're just just—we're talking about players that you love and, and that can be for whatever reason. But for Southampton, he is one of their absolute all-time greatest players and he is Matt Letitia Southampton legend. He's not Matt Letizia, former Southampton striker. You know that's what it. That's that's what comes underneath him when he's interviewed on TV and on the radio and stuff. But I suppose you you touch on something interesting there. You you can players can be cult heroes, sort of beyond and outside of their club. I'd su- I'd suggest that Matt Latifi is very much a cult sort of hero figure to the wider footballing communities, to, to fans of football who grew up in in the nineties and were watching the the earlier days of the Premier League, because he's a player that never really fulfilled his potential at the top level never progressed to a top club didn't play for England as much as he should have done but he was brilliant I mean the man scored some absolutely ludicrously good goals I remember that the goal he scored against Blackburn I think it was in the season that Blackburn won the league so yes he dribbled around about, a about three Blackburn players fan. yeah yeah dribbled around about three <laughs> players and popped it in the top corner from 30 yards and I mean the goal that he scored in the last game at the Dell it's players that do that sort of thing as well it's you know scoring those important goals at the important moments like that it's amazing and he he's he very much fit in into that category
2: remember at Wagu podcast if you want to send us any more of your cult heroes or you can get in touch via the website I've got another we'll um, have- another sorry to bite in mark, I've got another sort of category of these players, well, it's
3: kind of we're kind of making this up as we go along this week, as you can probably evidently. tell. But it's it's like this is this fine. It's this is going to this is going to run and run. Um I think another sort of wing of the the cult hero hall of fame, if you like, should be reserved for the players who stood out not necessarily because of their footballing ability, or, or, or maybe their footballing ability shone through despite. Them not looking like they should be great players. Basically, people that were fat. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so i mean, instantly like Mickey Quinn. Yes. Is someone that would, would spring Talk to mind an excellent very goal, young. an excellent, absolutely an excellent goal scoring record. Surprisingly good goal scoring record. Really, even even into the, even had a, an amazing record in sort of early days of the Premier League with Coventry. I think he scored in six consecutive games. I think in the start of the Premier League era, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was only recently broken. Uh, Neil Shipperley. Man well, who, I was
2: about to mention Shipley, yeah. but was
3: he that fat when he actually played for Palace, not,
2: or is it just after his retirement? Well, not in his early days,
3: but he still—he was pretty. He was carrying a pretty hefty amount of timber when he scored the winner for them in the playoff final against West Ham. Yes, yeah. okay. well, yeah, into the, well into the nineties, uh, other players who, uh, well, you've got old um, Kevin McNulty at Luton Town, <laughs> who's still there, yes. still there today. Dean Windass, yeah. Uh, what's the big striker? Uh, pa- Parkinson. Um, John Parkin John Parkin yeah yeah, of Hull City of Cardiff City fame Kevin Pressman <laughs> yeah. in the goal, the goalkeeping stakes
2: great penalty uh, against Wolves very, back in the day absolutely
3: yeah absolutely and the, the list could go on and on but yeah there, there's a, we, I'd like to hear more Thomas Brolin what do you count yeah. Razor, Razor Ruddock well Razor yeah I'm not having Brolin really OK, fine. it was very much, the the the, the weight pil- piling on the weight very much signalled the end of his career and the decline, the sudden and rapid decline of his of his career. Razor Ruddock, yeah, absolutely another one. Grant Holt, be- maybe Grant Holt? Holt. Yeah, yeah, Grant yeah, Holt. Yeah. I, I, I hate that. Grant Holt. Give me
2: Grant Holt. Andy Reid, a bit harsh maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm just looking down a list of fat. Big Neville, Neville's en- yeah, Neville Big Neville's enormous
3: when he yeah. finishes playing days. And if you've seen him lately, he looks. He just looks like the. the he looks like a genetically modified hamster. <laughs> Did you? Oh, is it on? <laughs>
2: Did you see it's, well you probably didn't see it and I wouldn't blame you because it's bloody awful but Fletch and Sav had him on earlier this season. Yeah. Uh, he barely they, they basically had to wheel in an extra large sofa just to get him on <laughs> by himself. So he's I definitely think yeah he's going to seed. If we had a He pie doesn't chart, care either. He does not care one one jot. You know you know in the football clichés he does like when he does all those diagrams and yeah. like pie charts that go mm. You know, that cross over, and there's some sort of. We should do. If, if anyone's very good with Photoshop and could do as one of these, just be grateful. They're very much the yeah. various sort of subsections of a cult hero. So yeah. we've had one club men, we've had fat players, yeah. we've had. Uh, what else have we had? We've had um, ill disciplined players, players who promised more than they delivered. The list is endless. So if you could send us yours, please. You've, got, you've, got, and, you send, you've also
3: got another, you know, people like Neil Lampty who have had podcasts named after him. <laughs> yeah.
2: Them. Absolutely. You've
3: got also, if you delve into the football manager side of things, the, the likes of Cherno Samba, a player who was absolutely brilliant in the virtual world, but never even came close to delivering on that potential in real life. And Freddie Adu.
2: Freddie Adu. I was pushing about to say, it a bit now, I think. We are, yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> Did he actually play in England, Freddie Adu? I'm not sure. Mm, no, don't no never, not, not in England, no. I'd, I'd, I'd love to know what he's doing these days. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think we've covered a large... We'll have per-
3: to get Adam on. Old Adam, hurry! Football cliches, and get him to really—he needs to. We need to
2: ratify these categories. Well, I've got the book, but I'm not at home, sadly. But I have got the book, so I'm sure there's a section in there all about the cult hero. Um, You've maybe also got of...
3: players from from way back, you know, before the the ubiquitous television coverage, the the 24 cameras at every game um, sort of era. People like the famous one would be Robin Friday, who has had books and and documentaries made about him, a player who. Basically, no one ever really saw play unless you were you were at Reading for a couple of seasons in, in the 70s or 80s, I think it was, uh, who, who people say is the best player they've seen since George Best, but was just a complete and utter loose cannon off the pitch and had a short career and never fulfilled his potential. And I'm sure there's loads of other players like that, brilliant, brilliant players who me and you and fans of this current era just would never see because simply there isn't the footage that exists to this day. I
2: have, I've got one. It's not along those lines. It's along the lines of... Uh, someone who's a cult hero because of one particular goal, mm. and that's Michael Thomas um, for Arsenal. Scored. Jimmy Glass. Jimmy Glass. Oh, Jimmy, have we not mentioned him? Jimmy Glass, exactly. So this is another subcategory. Players that yeah, maybe didn't sort of stay at the club particularly long, but they were famous for one particular moment that shaped the future for the good or for the bad. Of that football club, Steve Fletcher at Bournemouth. Yes, the goal which players that save their clubs on, you know, when they're
3: really right at the the on their on their deathbed, as it were, and pull them back from from the
2: brink. Players who just have stupid songs named after them that just live on, just like the, his name is a shop one that I was talking about earlier. Um, Sean Gater at Manchester City, feed the goat and he will score. All this kind of thing. things like that, become embedded in football culture, mm. uh, and other fans end up singing or chanting. Uh, those chants with their own players. Yeah, you know, Manchester United fans still sing about Diego Forlan on a
3: regular basis. What do they sing? Well, they sing his song, whatever it, whatever Forlan song is. I don't know what <laughs> okay. it is, but I've, I've I've seen it. I've seen him interviewed about it. And I've seen it written loads of times. He was a player that never really did anything of of note in Manchester, apart from a couple of important goals here and there. But they still hold him dear to their
2: hearts. Do you remember William Prunier? I do. Well, sort of. I don't
3: remember him at all, but I rem- I know I remember, I know he's sort of that man that gets brought up of, of those sort of obscure Manchester United players on on, on Sporkle or on uh, in it boxes.
2: Yeah. You, cue your jokes about me being a United fan, but William yeah. Prunier, bald-headed Frenchman, scored a header against QPR, I think in 94-95 to get a 2-2 draw. That's that's what I remember about him. I think he played about four or five games. Uh, and then left and what? Of course, Federico Makeda. Uh, for a brief period at Manchester United because of one goal against Aston Villa, we're in um, danger of straying far too far away from the football yeah, league. Sorry, here, Mark, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we have really shifted the goalposts here. Sorry about that. Um, Shall we? Shall we wrap it up at that point, perhaps? Unless yeah. there's any more. Uh, Sort of uh, cul de sacs you want to take us down? No, I think we've been we've been around the whole estate. We have yeah. cul de sacs, drives, uh, crescents, news. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fair to say that there wasn't a a, a set structure for this week's podcast. Uh, I remember but that's year, fine. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. It doesn't have, does it fine? have to be a set absolutely. structure. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember years ago when total first, podcasting. The first year, <laughs> First year we used to do this. It used to be like m- minutely laid out, and now we're just. Uh, rambling sort of aimlessly around but I, I, I'm i enjoying it I hope you are too uh, that was um, our Cult hero special and hopefully we'll get more on throughout the season I like the idea of an in conversation with uh, section maybe it's a mini episode idea so keep
3: them coming keep suggesting them
2: yes please do email via the website we wearegoingup.co.uk or you can tweet us at Wagyu Podcast remember the SoundCloud page sandcloud.com slash Wagyu Podcast we're on Instagram we're on Facebook and if you go to audible.co.uk slash going up, you can download a free audiobook of your choice. There is thousands and thousands, quite literally, to pick from. Um, and if you've already registered and got one, you can still do that. So please do go to audible.co.ek slash going up and pick yourself up an audio book, maybe inspired by what we've been chatting about. I'm sure there's some obscure autobiographies that have been voiced up on Audible. Uh, get on there and uh, take advantage of that offer. So from one broom covered in Salford to one broom covered in London. Cheers, DC. Thank you. We've gonna... we enjoyed it yes uh what what what's the plan and with all the, the sort of goings on in the last week or so are we, are we going to revert back to more of a normal show next week or are we going to keep well, our special theme going
3: well, I think as we've said this special theme can can run and run and can be an ongoing thing for as long as we want it to be uh but I think we should also dip our toes into the water of the uh, of the current goings on and and you know check in with people at Newport County at Fleetwood at Rotherham etc, and see what's going on because it's interesting times for those clubs you know they're all uh, in different situations but You know, they all need to make appointments and and try and kickstart their season. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's slightly more normal in inverted commas, if you like, episode next week. But uh, we'll be there, nonetheless. We will have
2: an episode for you next week. I don't think Terry Butch is going to take any of our calls, if I'm brutally honest. No, but Steve Evans might. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm sure Steve Evans would. Uh, Steve Steve Evans will take whatever calls Steve Evans likes. So um, (laughs) that'll be next week. Thanks for listening. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the football league covered.
4: (laughs) you <laughs>